Hey guys, welcome to Money Moves with Gen Z for Financial Literacy. Money Moves is your go-to podcast for easy-to-understand lessons on financial literacy topics. Each episode, we sit down with a new expert in the field. Think a teacher, business professional, money influencer, or professor. My name is Matthew Shadid, and today, along with my co-host, Stephen Lin, we sit down with guest Jeremy Schneider, a highly successful entrepreneur and the founder of the Personal Finance Club. He sits down with Stephen and me to discuss the intricacies of investing and clear up any common misconceptions. If you're not already sold on the power of investing, you sure will be after tuning into this conversation with Jeremy. Jeremy Schneider. Um, my story is I started an internet company in college after I turned down a job offer from Microsoft. Um, I grew that company for 12 years with no outside funding. I lived on credit cards for a couple years, then finally got some revenue. I sold the company at the age of 30 or at the age of 34 for just over five million dollars, and then at the age of 36, I quit my job. And I basically, when I sold that company, I didn't want to be one of those stories where you know, a garbage man wins a lotto and then becomes a garbage man again, like two years later. And so I started reading everything I could about personal finance and investing. And I always kind of liked that stuff, but that really strengthened my, my knowledge. And I realized that like everything that is in all these books basically all says the exact same thing, but it isn't really a message we hear a lot in, in pop culture and the media. And so then I started kind of casually helping my friends with personal finance and I called it personal finance club. And then I've now have like started a new brand business where I basically try to help further financial literacy and help people with personal finance. Um, and that's what I'm doing here, helping people, I hope. Yeah, that's really cool. I think doing it over social media is a perfect way that we also try to like emulate. We have different types of um, like social media platforms like TikTok that's become really prominent in educating Gen Z in specific about personal finance. And I personally feel like that's done a great deed for Gen Z, being scrolling through your For You page and seeing a video on index funds is, is is better than a lot of their parents had it. Yeah, you know, I often say like if everyone read three books on personal finance, then like I would just close up shop and, you know, I'd be done because you kind of know everything you need to know. But that's not really what people do, you know, and, and for good reason. They're, they're busy and it's like a complex world and they have different priorities. And so, um, you know, social media is kind of this double-edged sword where you're like, there's a lot of crap on there and it can be addictive and maybe there's misinformation or yada 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 but it's also like a tool you can use to like reach people like where they're at and try to like infuse good hopefully you know messages but you know it's a challenge because if you're just being boring and factual um nobody wants to watch you so you have to kind of like keep it interesting but also push a push a good message which in turn just helps the audience uh eventually just learn more and actually be engaged with the content that they're watching. We like to start off by having our guests explain in simple terms, in the most simple terms they can, what is investing? We think you're a perfect person to ask this. For someone out there who's relatively new to the to the to sphere, if you could give us in like one to two sentences, what is investing? I love simple questions because yeah. I'm a very simple man and like complex topics scare and confuse me. I think investing is buying something that provides income back to you and is likely to go up in value in the future. And that's it. That's what investing is. It's just 
buying something. So like if you, for example, if you buy a car, that is not investing because cars go down in value and they don't provide income. But if you buy the house next door to where you live and you put renters in there, it provides income, which is rent, and it's likely to go up in the future. You know, I say likely because we don't know. We never know what the future holds. Nobody knows. That's why time only marches forward. But yeah, when you're investing, it's like you buying what's called these assets, the stuff that is providing income to you and likely to go up in the future. And you didn't ask this, but I like to differentiate this from another thing that's is often confused, which is speculating. Because when you buy, for example, Dogecoin, in my opinion, that's not investing. That is speculating because Dogecoin doesn't provide income. So it doesn't meet that metric. It doesn't provide income while you own it. And is it likely to go up in the future? Maybe you could make an argument that it is, but at least it's not doing both of those things. And so when you buy a, you know, you buy investment real estate or you buy you know, stocks and bonds, those things provide income just for owning them, even if they never go up in value, but they're also likely to go up in value. That's what investing is. You make some great points there. And I especially like your point about talking about what investing is and what it's not, because a lot of people, investing gets tossed around so much, whether it be with parents, friends on social media, a lot of people end up conflating investing with something that's actually not. And a big difference is the difference between investing and trading. So could you kind of break down what is trading, what is investing, and how do you kind of differentiate between the two? Yeah, you know, and the world of investing, when you hear that word for the first time, it's such like this scary, confusing word. And you you have like a, a, a novice investor would have images of like guys on Wall Street, like frantically waving white pieces of paper over their head or like you know, someone sitting in front of 40 computer screens, like looking at all these charts or crypto or options or blah, blah, blah. But like all that stuff is not investing. All that stuff is nonsense. And it's all speculating, like, like trading, like you mentioned, it's not investing, you're not buying and holding something that provides income. You're just guessing, you're just guessing if something's going to go up and down. And the reality is, is those speculators, those guessers, they're all just fighting over nothing. They're all fighting each other for these table scraps, trying to like get an edge on each other. But the real people who are making money are the investors who buy for long term and collect that income over time. And you know, trading has this allure because you think you can get rich quick or whatever, but you don't. You know, there's like you know, when you see the list of the world's richest people, they are they're not traders. You know, of course not. They're you know, trading is like as a, as a myth essentially. Um, the world's you know, the world's richest people are business owners, of course, who have invested in their business because it provides income over many many decades. Um, yeah, so. All that stuff is nonsense. Trading, options, stock picking, crypto, you know, all that stuff is nonsense, in my opinion. Investing is just buying and holding for long periods of time, letting the market do its work, collecting the income, letting the, the asset go up in value. And that's how actual rich people get rich. And all this, all this shit you see, I mean, and like every single day on my TikTok, I see some trader who's like, this is the top two stocks, or this is the, we, we're seeing a bottom or for this. And and it's like nonsense. I like, and like, from my perspective, like I'm a millionaire who's like been reading about this stuff for 20 years and has been, been lived it and really have a deep understanding. Like, I know they're just totally full of shit. I don't know if they know they're full of shit, but I think they might have a hint that they do. But someone who's like watching, can I swear on this? This is kids, right? When, when, uh, but when, when like a young person's watching this, they might be like, oh man, I should learn that. Like, I feel bad. I don't know how to, I don't know how to trade, but like, no, you shouldn't feel bad. That's, that's nonsense. Yeah. You, you make some great points there. And then I know you talked a lot about investing and how it's a lot better than just speculatively trading. But besides the stock market, which you can invest in for long-term gains, what are some other different types of securities or types of securities that you can invest in? So, I mean, securities is a great word for it because it basically describes this 
this class of things where you can like buy them digitally essentially and they're like stocks and bonds that's what securities are a stock is when you buy a piece of a company so for example you can buy one share of apple and then when you own a share of apple you own a little tiny like way less than one percent because there's like millions or billions of shares of apple or whatever and then when they sell iphones and and uh airpods and itunes and everything else you are do your fair share of that growth and profit that they produce, which is great. Or you can buy a bond and a bond is just, you know, bonds are so boring, but whatever. It's just a way to basically loan money to a company or a government and then they pay you back what you pay them at some point in the future and they pay you interest along the way while they have your money. And so when you put your money into a stock, owning a share of a company or a bond where you loan money out to a company or a government, those are both pushing income back to you, right? And so this whole concept of investing is like, it's like the uh, grasshopper and the ant, right? Isn't that the, I, should, I feel like I should read that story. <laughs> but, you know, the point is like the, the, the one that like saves and instead of spending all his money, I think it was the ant, uh, is the one who is actually going to get more back. And so when you take your money and when, you know, when you're a young person who gets a job and it's really tempting to go spend every single penny that you make because we've been live in this materialistic society where we've been trained to like buy cars and go on trips and yada, yada, yada. But if you can like, carve out some of your income and instead of spending it and losing all that money, you put it into these assets, stocks and bonds, and then have that money come back to you over time. Then, you know, when you're 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road, then you'll be a millionaire and, you know, life will be a lot easier for you. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I get it. Right. But a lot of kids my age don't. And I think that's where the problem really comes in. A lot of people look at their teens and twenties at it as a time to, to party, to go out, to spend money, because they feel like it's their only free time. Because they're they're late twenties, they're early thirties, they're settling down, having families, and that's when they feel like they should worry about money, not in their twenties. Uh, for people who don't get it, how would you kind of convince them of the importance of investing early? Well, I mean, I'd first say it is like that's great. You know, I agree. Like you know, you should be living your life in your 20s. By the way, I'm 41, which might sound ancient to you, but like it turns out when you're 41, you still feel like you're 21. And maybe that's true for 51 too. I don't know. But it turns out like your whole life, you feel the exact same way that you do now. You still feel like you want to like live your life to the fullest. Um, and you should, right? Like the message here isn't like, oh, live under a rock and never spend a penny. But like, you know, let's say you make $60,000 a year, which is a little bit less than the median income. Like there are people who make $40,000 a year. And like those people who make 40,000 a year, like they want to live it up. And so what if you just spent like you made $40,000 a year and you live it up on your 40,000, then you just invest 20,000. Um, you know, that's a, like, that's kind of a dramatic example. Like I'm talking about a third of your income there, but you know, the point is like you can, you can and should be living your life to your fullest, whatever that means. It doesn't necessarily mean parting, but like whether it's traveling or deep sea fishing or whatever it is, but you know, wherever your income, someone who makes a little bit less than you is living their life to the fullest too. And so just think about that way and see if you can carve out some in, at, an income. And the, and the reason is it's like, you know, one of the, like the famous stats in this is if you invest from the age of 20 to 30, and then you never invest again, you end up with more money than someone who invests starting at 30 and invests for the rest of their life. And the reason is this like massive power of time in the compound growth formula. The earlier you start, this like the snowball effect starts happening where it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so if you can like do your future self a favor 
when you're like 10 years down the road and like carve out a little bit of income and start putting it away now into investments, you know, you're going to be, you know, decades ahead of your, you know, not only one decade, but decades ahead of your, you know, your friends of the same age. And so, you know, and, and also the whole point of this, again, isn't to like wag my finger and be like, you shouldn't be spending. The point is to be the happiest you can be, right? And I think that you'll be happier today if you have a plan that's going to like take care of you later, right? People who can barely make ends meet, it's not a happy place to live, right? If you're barely covering your expenses and you're, you know, you're cracking up debt and you're worried about the phone ringing and you're worried about the electric going off and you're worried about your car getting repoed, like that's not a good place to live. If you're spending less than you make and you're investing and you see your wealth building and then you can feel really good about what, what you are spending, you're happier today and then you'll be much better off in the yeah, future. Yeah, and like that's a really good point you bring about compound interest because that's something that's very overlooked. You starting early builds up compound interest over time. And that compound formula you talked about, really starting early not only helps you develop your skills more, it also leads you to, okay, I don't have to wait until I'm like 70 to retire because I started investing earlier. Because I have that compound interest formula that you talked about before, it helps you retire earlier and helps you build up and gain more confidence as an investor. Totally. Like one of my favorite stats is, you know, when you're talking to a 20 year old about retirement, they're like, who yeah. cares? Put a bullet in my head, 65. But like, you know, imagine how great it is to get a week of PTO, paid time off, right? You get a week, oh, you can go on vacation, you're still getting paid, do whatever you want. How great is that? If you invest half of your income, 15, and you're broke, if you have zero dollars to name and you invest half of your income, 15 years later, you will never have to work mm -hmm. again. And so you don't need to retire when you're 65. In fact, you don't get to retire when you're 65 automatically. You know, no one like, you know, there is social security, which is going to maybe give you a little bit. So you like can eat cat food or something, but like, you know, there's no, there's nothing magic about the age of 65. You get to retire when you have enough money. Yeah. And so if you want to like live your fullest life, cause I retired at 36, for example, I mean, I actually obviously had that fast forward cause I sold my company, but I was doing this before during and after I sold my company too. And people have sold their company for much more and gone broke and yada, yada, yada. And so like this, like living below your means and investing thing is how I'm doing what I'm doing. But you can retire in your thirties if you wanted. Like, you know, some people save 80% of their income. Like they get super hyper-focused about this because it's not about like, you know, having a nice car when you're 80 or something, because who cares? It's yeah. about like maximizing your life's happiness and value. And so, yeah, that this investing can really help you retire Decades young. Yeah, the, the reason I mentioned that week is because if you think a week of PTO is good, try 30 years, right? Yeah. Like 30 years is much better. Yeah, and like investing is such a great thing and it can be very powerful when trying to space out your retirement and make it come earlier instead of like 65 or 70 or 75. You don't be working until that old. But the problem a lot of young investors or beginners face is that they're very anxious. They view it as very risky, too dangerous. They're like, it's so much easier to open up a savings account and dump my weekly or bi-weekly paycheck in there rather than investing. So if an investor came to you nervous, anxious, telling you, oh, the market's too risky, investing is too risky, what would you say to them? And what would be your advice to really get started with the first steps to investing? Yeah, I mean, that's fair, right? Like, well, maybe it's not fair, but I should say it's it's natural and it's understandable. Um, but the first thing I'd say is there's no such thing as a safe place to put your money. Like, if you might have noticed, we have had like 9% of inflation the last year. And so that money in your savings account is slowly eroding to inflation. And so that's not safe. 
putting in your backyard buried in a coffee can is not safe. Um, you know, there, there is no safe, perfectly safe investment, right? And so what you're doing when you're keeping cash only is you're just kind of guaranteeing yourself not to be outpacing inflation. You're guaranteeing yourself to be losing to inflation. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So if you go back 40 years, I know it's a long time, but you go, you, if you go back 40 years and you invested, if you saved 500 bucks a month, 500 bucks a month times 12 months times 40 years is 240,000 bucks. And so that's a ton of money, obviously. And so, but for 40 years of your life's work, you end up with 240,000 bucks. And that's, you know, not enough to retire. You know, maybe you can like move to some super low cost of living area and, and be eating canned food every day or something. But if you were to put that 200, if you were to put that 500 bucks a month into the U.S. stock market in an index fund, which is, which is just a simple way to buy all the stocks, you wouldn't have 240,000, you'd have about 3.3 million. And during those 40 years, you would have experienced six recessions, like five bear markets, you know, uh, market crashes and global pandemics and wars and, and inflation and all sorts of terrible sounding headlines. And despite all that, the market has persevered because when you're buying the companies of the, of the, of the country, uh-oh. I'm having technical trouble. I can still hear you, but your video appears to be frozen. Yeah, I know. It just told me that my video died. Um, we're no, not using the video, not. right? Only audio recording. I'm going to just turn off my video okay. then. I like got some pop-up that showed that. No problem. Well, I guess it is off now. Okay. No problem. Sorry about no problem. That. Technical difficulties. Where was I? Okay, are we gonna yes, be able to yes. add this back together? Or maybe <laughs> include it in. People love this kind of stuff. They love hearing how the sausage is made. Um so yeah, despite all those, you know, negative things happening in the market, instead of your two hundred and forty thousand, you'd you'd end up with three point three million because buying the companies of the US and the world is constantly returning value to the investor, even though there's short-term volatility. And that's what you hear about in the news. Like right now, the market's down, they say. The market's up, the market's down. Sounds like a yo-yo. But it's not like a yo-yo. It's like a yo-yo walking upstairs. And so the little downturns of the yo-yo, you make news because the market's usually going up. And so when it goes down a little bit, everyone loses their, loses their mind. But it's like you're walking up a set of stairs or an infinitely long set of stairs, yo-yoing along the way. And so during one, of, during one of those down yo-yos, everyone's like, market's down. But if you look at the progress you're making over years and decades, you're way, way, way further ahead than if you were just you know, standing on the ground saving cash. Yeah, I, I love the yo-yo example because even when you look at a graph, that's kind of what you can picture because it's like the steps and then like the, the little downturns every now and then and like the huge crashes. But I feel like what you mentioned before with the media and on social media, especially all these young kids, young millennials, all they hear about is, oh, I made $100,000 in the stock market. Oh, I lost a million dollars in the market. But they don't really hear about that 30% over, over years, over just being consistent with it. So what do you look at when judging a potential investment that, that does have one of these upturns over time and not one of the extremes on either end? So, I mean, those extreme stories you hear, you hear about because they're newsworthy and they make, they're interesting, but you know, you also hear about people winning the lottery, right? And that doesn't mean winning the lottery is a smart financial move. It's not, in fact, you know, you lose, you know, you're, 
dramatically more likely to lose the lo- in the lottery even if you played forever. So with investments, it just turns out that you know I invest in basically two things. I invest in like the stock market and I invest in real estate. And with the stock market, it's very confusing at a first glance. You know, which stocks do you buy? Do you buy Apple, Amazon, Tesla, ExxonMobil, Nike, Home Depot? There's like a million stocks out there. And if you read about it for two minutes, you might think, okay, I need to like learn about these companies and read their financial statements and look at the stock history and and try to pick and choose good companies. But it turns out you don't need to do that because the market is what we call is called it's efficient, which means the sum total of public human knowledge, everything you know and I know and everybody knows is constantly and instantly being priced into the price of these stocks. And so when you go to buy a share of Tesla or Amazon or Google or whatever, what you can learn through your research and through your human life experience won't give you an edge on whether or not to buy that stock because everybody else in the world combined has already priced that stock exactly where it should be based on everything we know and everything we're going to know looking forward are all of our projections. So what do you do or what do I do? I buy all the stocks. I literally just buy every single stock. Doing that directly would be extremely difficult and logistically complicated because stocks cost like between 10 and 100 bucks each or whatever and to buy all the stocks would cost an incredible amount of money. So they made a tool called an index fund, which is basically one thing you can buy that has all the stocks in it. And so when you buy an index fund, you own Apple and Amazon and Google and Tesla and every single stock. And there's like a U.S. stock index fund and an international stock index fund. And so when you buy these index funds, you own all the stocks, all the growth and profits of those stocks automatically are funneled right back to your account. And they're also extremely low cost. You know, there's very limited fees with associated with index funds because there's not much interesting going on. And it turns out that investing the only thing that you can really purposefully do to increase your future returns isn't getting tricky about stock picking and picking a good mutual fund and getting in and out of the market. The only thing that you can predictably do to improve your future returns is minimize your fees. And that's why index funds are so great because they're very, very low cost and they guarantee you your fair share of all market growth by buying all the stocks. Yeah, I love that. I love how index funds are simple and understandable for a lot of people. But even then, I feel like even for me, risk is still an aspect. You're young. Uh, you, you don't have a lot of money. Risk is still an aspect. Uh, index funds could go down. Are there, is there such thing as a bad index fund? If so, like how do you kind of differentiate between the really good index funds that go up like you're talking about or the ones that uh, don't go up? So, you know, an index fund is a type of mutual fund. And a mutual fund is just a fancy word that means a bunch of people like you, you to me and a hundred other people mutually put our money into like a shared fund, like an account. And that it's like a very generic term. A mutual fund could be buying stocks. It could be buying bonds. It could be like day trading inside. It could be very speculative. It could be very conservative. Um, and there are for sure good and bad mutual funds, although it's very hard to tell what they are in advance. You can only tell which ones were good in with hindsight. But an index fund isn't like that. An index fund simply buys all the stocks. And so there generally aren't better or worse index funds. Like one of my posts, for example, I look at the, you know, the 12 most popular index funds the last decade and I chart them on top of each other. 
and it looks like a single line because all they do is the exact same thing. They all just track the exact same market. You know, like you could go find an example of a crappy mutual fund or crappy index fund that's sold by some crappy 401k provider or something like that. But generally, if you go to like a, a name brand brokerage like Vanguard, Fidelity, or Schwab and buy their index funds, you're going to be in great shape. And, you know, there's plenty of resources out there, like on my website, everywhere else, where you can like go and look up these ticker symbols to tell you which funds to buy. Or if you want to make it even simpler, you could go to a robo-advisor, like uh, Betterment or Wealthfront, and all you do with them is you just, you just put your money in, and then they buy the index funds for you. They charge you a small fee for it. It's not that big of a deal. But if you don't want to do like an hour of research, you want to do like two minutes of research, then just go to Betterment or Wealthfront, dump your money in. That's like a great option. So like compared to other commodities or securities you could buy, like for example, investing in the bond market or putting your money directly in shares of a single company, you would kind of argue that index funds are a great way to minimize risk and kind of almost put yourself in a better position for growing your money over time in a more guaranteed fashion compared to just playing into the stock market or buying bonds. Absolutely. You know, I think buying an index fund is the most likely way to optimize your own wealth and everything that like kind of der or derivates from that, everything that's different from that is, you know, just gets into the world of speculation. So you mentioned commodities. Um, you know, you could buy oil, you could buy gold, you could buy, you know, these, these commodities you hear about. But the problem with commodities is like buying oil or gold isn't investing, in my opinion. It doesn't meet my definition because it's not providing income while you own it. If you just buy a barrel of oil, you're just hoping someone pays you more for it later. That's speculation, that's guessing. Whereas with an index fund, you're buying you know, the companies of the world and they're paying you, you know, the growth and income while you own it. And stock picking, individual stock picking is okay. You know, I think buying, like if you were just to go throw a dart at a dartboard and buy 10 random stocks, you'd probably do great, but you're just, exposing yourself to more risk and volatility by doing that. Because if three of those companies go out of business, your portfolio could take a massive loss, whereas index funds are constantly buying all the shares of the companies of the world in proportion to their size. And so as companies grow and go out of business, index funds are considered self-cleansing because they're always owning all the companies like in the appropriate amounts instead of having to like pick stocks individually. That's a great point. And then we've talked a lot about investing in index funds and some of our audience might want to learn more and there are a lot of good resources, some bad, especially on social media. So do you recommend any particular resources, books, channels, websites to learn more about investing in index funds in particular? Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> this is what I do for a living. And so like, I'm obviously biased, but like on my website, I have a start here video series. That's 50 minutes. It's free. It doesn't require your email address. It's not some lead gen thing. It's just a series of videos that you can watch. It walks through this A through Z. I also have a reading list and a podcast list on my website. Um, there are some really great books like The Simple Path to Wealth by JL Collins walks through this, this like same logic. Um, you know, anything by Jack Bogle, who's the founder of Vanguard, like the, the little book of common sense investing. Um, that's a great one. Um, yeah, I have the whole list on my website too. personal finance club. Well, those are definitely some great resources for you guys to check out. So I wanted to pivot a bit to talk about the initial step of investing and eventually getting wealthy is even having enough money to set aside. I feel like that's a, essentially the initial step. A lot of people skip over it when discussing investing, but I really want to touch upon it to motivate people who may not have money right now to set aside 
how can they rearrange their budget to kind of like get get away from that cycle of paycheck to paycheck and have an extra $50 even at the end of the month to invest? Yeah, that's a great point. And I have two rules of building wealth. Rule number one is to live below your means. And rule number two is invest early and often. And so we've kind of been talking about rule number two this whole time, which is investing. But you make a good point, which is like, if you don't have any money, you can't invest. And if you can only invest like $1 a month, it's so little, it's not going to be meaningful. You know, by far, the most important thing you can do with investing is just to put more money in. And where does that money come from? It comes from your income and by living below your means. And so, you know, I should give the caveat here, which is like, there are like socioeconomic problematics of the world, systemic problems where there are people living in poverty and, you know, a rich guy on a podcast wagging my finger and saying invest more isn't, isn't like addressing those problems. Um, but as much as I would love to and try to address those problems for a lot of normal people who are like working jobs, there's an opportunity to be more purposeful about their spending. Right. Um, and you know, if you're in college, for example, um, or in high school, I, I guess Gen Z is like, what's the oldest Gen Z right now? Is there anyone who's like a full-time? I think I mean, they're just starting. They're, they're entry-level positions. Cool. So like if you're in high school and college, you know, my general advice is to, to not worry about the investing side too much. You know, your, your main goal in life right now is to set yourself up to be in a position to have a high income, you know, when you're entering your you know, early, mid-20s, whatever, you know. Because I can't look at you when you're trying to make forty thousand dollars a year of college payments and you're, you know, working a part time job and be like, why don't you spend less and invest more? Like it's, the math is just crazy; it doesn't work. I mean, what you should be doing in high school and college is minimizing debt as much as possible, going to a cheaper college, getting scholarships, working and paying, you know, working and paying for college directly instead of borrowing more money. That is going to set you up to like accelerate the wealth creation um, once you once you get there. If you are working. Then, you know, you can budget. I actually hate the word budget. It's like dieting. You know, it's like, oh, why don't you just diet? I'm going to eat salads for, for a week. And then uh, then you like fail and you feel bad about yourself. And same with d- budgeting. You're like, I'm only going to spend $200 on groceries this month. And then you go over and you're like, I'm a failure. I'm just going to give up. Uh, you know, it, it's just not for most people. I don't know. Like, I, like I've used a budgeting app for like nine years or something but I'm not normal. Like, this is what I do for a living. I like, I know 95% of people are never going to fucking like go over their budget every month with a fine tooth comb, which is never going to happen. But what I do like doing is purposely carving out some money to, you know, save and invest first. So set up some automatic contributions. Like when you get your paycheck, you can set some automatic contributions that go into either a separate savings account or into your investing account to basically Make those payments first, and then whatever's left in your you know checking account, you can use to pay bills and spend and to go to do whatever you want. If you're doing that, that's basically like this simple form of automatic budgeting where you're saying, "Hey, I am prioritizing saving and investing." And then as you get raises, like let's say you get a raise an extra five hundred bucks a month, maybe you can like increase that saving and investing automation by like two hundred fifty bucks a month. So if you're like investing and saving half of your raise for your whole career, you're going to be fabulously wealthy. Whereas if you just keep ratcheting up your cost of living, every time you get more money, you can stay broke no matter how much you earn. Yeah, and then that's a really important point because it's not about like, oh, I'm just going to put like $1 here or $2 here because you need to have a certain amount of sizable contributions to your investing. And like Matthew mentioned before, it's about 
putting a consistent part of your paycheck or a consistent amount of your money to have the resources and ability to invest. And I know you also talked about debt there. And a big question a lot of people ask is, okay, is all debt bad? Am I never gonna take student loans? Should I never take on any debt, whether it be medical debt, credit card debt? Is debt always really as bad as people say it is? I mean, debt is such a weird thing because we're like, as Americans, we're like so obsessed with it, you know, like mortgages and car loans and credit cards, like everyone loves that. I mean, as a baseline, you don't want to owe money to people. Like, that's not good. I would prefer not to, like all things equal, I don't want to owe money to anyone, right? And so, you know, I think that should always be your baseline. If you cannot owe money to people, you don't want to. Um, that said, going to college, 100% debt free is very, very difficult. And so I'm not saying don't go to college. If you need to take student loans to get through college, go for it. But here's like a little stat about student loans. If you, if there's two people, I like to tell these little comparison stories. We'll call them Ashley and Amanda. Ashley borrows $40,000, graduates at the age of 22 with $40,000 of debt. Amanda graduates with 20,000. And those are both big numbers. When you're 16, the numbers 40,000 and $20,000 are like both so mind-blowingly big. It just seems very abstract. And they're both typical. I think they're both about average. And then what they do is they both save and invest the same amount. They pay, they both pay off their debt at the same exact rate. So they pay off their debt 500 bucks a month each. And Ashley, who has $40,000 of debt, gets debt-free at I think 31, I forget the exact number. Actually, I'm not gonna get these numbers exactly right, but, the, but I'll tell you the punchline. That $20,000 of debt extra amplifies to $700,000 less money that she has at retirement. That's like how crazy it is because when you have more debt, it takes you longer to get out of debt, it delays you from beginning investing, it delays, you know, it costs you more in interest. So having that student loan, just that difference between 20,000 and 40,000 costs her $700,000 at retirement. That's how dramatic it is. And so for sure never have credit card debt, you know, pay off your credit card debt in full, never borrow money for a car. I know that's like a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, but never borrow money for a car, pay for a car in cash. It's so easy to walk into a car dealership and want to like borrow a bunch of money and have car payments whatever. But these debt payments are what like keep you broke for much, much longer, delaying the ability to invest, delaying the ability for that compound growth to take effect. So yeah, that's my, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I love it. Cause it's these, big life decisions we have to make at such a young age that like you explained before can have such a big impact on on you when you're 60 that you didn't think of when you were 18 which is in my opinion not a responsible or uh, decision we should be putting on 18 year olds to make such great life decisions especially with the price of college nowadays no, I, I 100% agree. Like, it's we live in this like bizarre world society. Like, we, we all have just normalized to the world we live in, and we think it just is what it is. But the fact that, you know, we're looking at 17 year olds who are trying to get through school and play sports and learn instruments and like learn how to date, and they're like, oh, by the way, uh, you have no uh, financial education, and please go make this decision that's going to have millions of dollars of impact over your life. Good luck. I mean, obviously parents can be involved, but like, you know, not all parents know what they're talking about either. Or not all parents are good parents or whatever. And it sucks. You know, it's just totally unfair. Like, it's not how I would have made society. I don't think it's fair that we like, you know, basically give, you know, 17 year olds this blank check to go spend as much as they want and like dig themselves as deep as possible. And then, by the way, student loans is like, are like the one kinds of debt that can't ever be like 
forgiven by bankruptcy. And so you can like, if you have credit card debt or auto debt or yada, 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 you can like declare bankruptcy and then have that debt, you know, expunged from your record or whatever. But student loans literally follow you until you die. Um, and, you know, I think the reason for that is like somewhat fair because they don't want a bunch of like college kids racking up a hundred thousand bucks in student debt and then de- declaring bankruptcy at 22. But also it like kind of sucks that we basically give these college kids this blank check and be like, oh, by the way, like we're going to, this is worse. This is even a worse type of debt than credit card debt because you'll never get rid of it, you know, other than paying it off. Yeah. And like, I think that both speaks to like just how poor the educational, especially the higher educational system is because it's so difficult because everybody wants to go to college. Everybody wants to go to university. But the problem is that, okay, it costs 400K for four years. Like, can you really shell out that much when you're not working or when you need to sustain yourself over that period of time? And then you take those loans and then try to make money from that. It's really difficult to navigate trying to balance going to college while also, hey, I'm gonna graduate with hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans. So it's kind of a difficult thing that a lot of people here face. But a lot of the things that people also navigate now is, that, okay, how do I save for these big life purchases? How do I save, for example, a car or a home when I'm also putting money towards investing, when I'm also trying to live my life? So do you have any advice on navigating the bigger purchases in life, like a car, like a home, like starting a family? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say it's easy, right? Because everyone has these constraints. And if you're making $35,000 a year and you want to drive a car and buy a house and invest, you know, those numbers are virtually impossible. You're like living, depending on where you live, you're like living near the poverty line. But if you're making like seventy or $80,000 a year, um, you know, you can start making those priorities, right? And so I, I, I like that system of having those automatic transfers where you say, okay, hey, I'm going to do... 500 bucks a month towards investing 500 bucks a month towards those savings goals, like car, home, wedding, whatever. And then the rest will be my, will be my, uh, uh, spending. And I think being able to adjust those and have those be part of your, of your life can, can set you up for success there. Um, yeah, but I I agree. It's not, it's not always easy just to like wag my finger and say, save. but you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of, you know, people make a lot of decisions that impact this stuff, right? Like today is prime day. Yeah. I know we're, we're recording this a little bit before um, the day comes the day comes out, but it's Amazon prime day where Amazon has all these screaming deals, most of which are fake, by the way, they like increase the price then say they drop the price <laughs> and it's just the normal price. But you know, people make impulse decisions or they, you know, get a more fancy hotel when they go on vacation or they upgrade their flight or you know there's like all these like little tiny decisions you know eating out versus eating in there's all these little decisions that add up throughout the day and you know i have a buddy who got married in hawaii and his hawaiian wedding was like two thousand dollars like flights he got you know married on the beach i was actually actually officiated the wedding like free photography from friends like you know he just didn't spend any money and like it was a beautiful wedding and there was like 40 people there and everyone had this amazing time Um, and so I think some people are just so in this mindset of things must cost money that they're just because that's what society is constantly saying to us, but it doesn't have to like, you know, you could have a soup, you can have a mint mobile phone for 10 bucks a month or whatever you can, uh, you know, you can drive a used car, you can bike to work, you can, you know, bring all your meals. Like there's ways to live life very, very cheap. Um, 
that a lot of people don't want to do because it just doesn't seem comfortable. Exactly. And like, I think there'll be a ties back to what we've talked about today and also in other podcast episodes because there are always ways to save money. There are always ways to limit your spending, whether it be going out with your friends or going on trips. We even like looked at some of the things you were putting out on your social media platforms and you're saying how, okay, you can use points to get flights for a lot cheaper than they actually are. Or you can take, or you can bring your food out, bring your own food when you go out to eat. So there are always ways to save money and minimize costs. It's just a matter of whether or not you have the motivation to do so. While maybe challenging now, it'll help you in the future later on. Yeah, 100% agree. And and it, it is a tough pill to swallow sometimes because you think that everyone's just like waving their plastic around, swiping their card, buying whatever they want. And you have to be very d- disciplined to, you know, focus on spending, the, uh, you know, spending less. Actually, the other day I made a YouTube video that was like, it was five hundred or $500 a day on food versus $5 a day on food. And so for two days in a row, the first day, I literally spent $5 on food for the entire day. And I'm 6'4", 205 pounds. I work out pretty much every day. And so like I need like 2,500 or 3,000 calories a day uh, and lots of protein. And I made it work. Like I, I like did my research on how to like what to buy and what's healthy and what's cheap. And so I was having like chicken and rice and vegetables and oatmeal and tuna fish and like I had like I was like very full at the, end of the, at the end of that day then the next day I spent $500 on food I like was buying Uber Eats and you know booze and you know just sushi and oceanfront restaurants and yada 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 and like and by then I was like at first my first meal was an Uber Eats breakfast and it was like 40 bucks I'm like man I still have 460 bucks left to spend but by the end of the day i was like i almost i almost ran out of money i was like oh i can't buy the most expensive wine because i'm gonna like blow my whole budget so it's crazy how easy money is to spend if you're just being careless exactly about it. and then the last topic that we're going to touch on before we wrap up today is some of the current events and some of the news that's kind of flying around in the world of business and finance and one of the main things is this inflation whether it be at the store or the gas pump there's a lot of inflation and a lot of price increases happening so what's kind of your take on the inflation combined with the unemployment rate and also the fact that we're also adding jobs? What's your take on the outlook for the economy so far and the talks of a looming recession? So my general take is all this macroeconomic stuff we hear about in the news, inflation and recession and jobs and markets and blah, blah, blah. Like it just is like this noise that doesn't impact your life very much. Like your life is impacted by you spending less money than you make, and you growing your career, and you invest in the difference. And so, for example, 9% inflation sounds like this crazy, scary thing. But what that means is a year ago, like a sandwich that cost $10 now costs $10.90. Like, it's high for inflation. It's the highest we've seen in 40 years. There's all sorts of reasons economists are concerned about this. But, like, your life, because you have to spend $10.90 on a sandwich that cost $10 a year ago, isn't dramatically different. And, and if you, you know, got a $2 an hour raise or something, or you went out to eat one time less per week or whatever, it's going to have a much, much more dramatic difference on your life. And so I think that these like scare tactics or these scary things we hear about in the news and like recession inflation just don't really matter that much to an individual person. And for sure, like, I don't mean to be dismissive of like the effects it has on the economy and how there could be unemployment and yada, yada, yada. But like you as an individual, your own best interest is still so much better served by focusing on growing your career and getting, you know, building a business or starting your side hustle or reducing your spending or, you know, all that stuff is going to 
make a much bigger difference. And by the way, it's the only thing you can impact, right? You can't change inflation. You can't change recession. You can't do, you exactly. can't do anything about it. And so like, like what do you, you know, like other than like bitching about on social media and looking for an excuse about like why, uh, you know, your life is bad or something, which is fine. You can make excuses if you want, but like, it's not going to change your life. You know, you get to change your life. You actually have to do something about, it, which is, you know, spend less than you make invest. Yeah. Money. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Understanding that the stuff that happens on on the news at night doesn't really affect what you do as a person um, and you should just stay focused on yourself and your goals. Um, just to wrap up, if you have any things you would like to plug, social media pages, websites, podcasts, anything you'd like, I'm sure our viewers would love to tune in. Sweet. Well, most of the magic is currently happening on Instagram and TikTok, I guess at Personal Finance Club. I think I have like half a million followers between those two. And yeah, my website, and there's like, if you want to learn how to invest, there's a start here video series uh, where you just go to personalfinanceclub.com and, and it's right at the top. It says start yeah, here. All of that will be linked in the description of this podcast when it comes out. this episode of Money Moves with Gen Z for Financial Literacy. We hope you learned something today. If you'd like to work with us, visit our website, genzforfinlit.org slash intern. Again, that's genzforfinlit.org slash I-N-T-E-R-N. You can also follow us on Instagram at genzforfinlit for future updates. We also have a monthly newsletter where we go into depth on everything related to finance and business. You can sign up for it on the website as well. Until next time, it's been Matt and Steven.